Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, It's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. As James said, my name is Kesevan. Very just quickly about my family. I'm married to Viji, who's sitting next to uh, Rosette and Duane, and we have four children: Josiah, Micah, Abigail, and Emily. They're all right here in the middle. So if you hear some rumbling and wrestling matches, that's my kids in the middle of the service. And um, we are from the east end of Toronto. You pass us, you leave Toronto. Um, And so our church was planted about eight years ago. And when Duane and Rosette and their family uh, were moving to Montreal, uh, we were sad, but also our desire was that they connect with a uh, Christ-honoring local church. And in the providence of God, I got connected to James. And we realized we're actually part of the same network. Um, And so we're so grateful that they were here. And then when we decided to visit, uh, James invited me to come and speak. So here I am. Um, And it's a joy for us. Um, When we first moved to this country, we moved to downtown Montreal. We lived here in 1989 for a year, learned my French, and then went to Toronto. I had to forget my French to learn English. And forget, I used to live in Germany prior to that. So sadly, I lost all my French. Um, but again, it's, it's a privilege to be here with you, um, to open up God's Word with you, and to ask Him to speak to our hearts and our minds that the Holy Spirit may apply this to us um, deeply. Um, we're going to read a passage very briefly, but first, um, in talking to Pastor James, I'm grateful for the recent sermon series you've been uh, going through, your pastors have been taking you through. Uh, We did something very similar in the providence of God uh, in January. We tried to start off the year with a a vision uh, at our local church in Toronto. And so you've been thinking through what it means to share the gospel if Jesus is the only way, which he is. You've also been thinking through how your evangelism and life on mission will be an overflow of the work of the gospel in your lives. And finally, I think last week, you considered how life on mission happens in everyday places of life, like we've just heard with movies, with friends, uh, going to the store and thinking how and what we can do for dinner with the gospel being the foundation. So today I thought it would be good for us to take what you have been learning, meditating and thinking through in these past few weeks and see how all of this fits together in the big picture of biblical missions. Namely, to see and participate in the way that God gathers for His fame a people from among all nations to worship Him. Why does God do that? How does He do that? See, God's purpose and goal in creation has always been rightful worship in spirit and in truth. The divine plan was and is for God to be worshipped of people everywhere on the face of the earth. But when we look around our city, 
when we look at our own people whom we know and work with, we can acknowledge that that is not the case. That's why the church is here. Not even close. In fact, when we consider that two-thirds of the world's population still adhere to something outside of biblical Christianity, that should concern us. So we must ask the Lord to further shape our worship, to be our motivation to participate in His mission locally and to the ends of the earth. The aim is to focus on this big picture and how God, in fact, has planned this before creation what he commanded in creation and his purpose of salvation after the fall of creation. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to, if you have your Bibles with you, open to Ephesians 1. We're going to read from verse 3 to 6. And we're going to pray. And then, once we consider that, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Genesis. So Ephesians 3, verse 3 to 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, every, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that you would take your word that was read and that you would work in our minds and our hearts through the Holy Spirit to draw us near to you, to help us to receive humbly and respond rejoicingly in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm about to share with you is not a typical verse-by-verse verse teaching, rather an overview where we hone in on a particular parts of the Bible and see how God's mission is weaved throughout the biblical storyline, this narrative. So the aim of this talk is this, and I think you'll have it. This is the aim, the main point, that God's purpose and mission is to restore our worship and receive His due glory. That's God's purpose, ultimately, to restore our worship and receive His due glory. And I want to set the stage for us to consider this that is rarely spoken about. When it comes to God's mission for the nation, that God created the very foundation of the earth, but in doing that, He had something in mind. That God's mission began in eternity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? Well, we just looked at Ephesians chapter 1. You can uh, keep that on the screen, that, that, those, those few verses. It says in verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Verse 5, He predestined us for adoption. Verse 6, it says, He predestined us for adoption for, to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. So the context here is telling us that the believer's spiritual blessing. The Apostle Paul says that God the Father chose us in Him, in His Son, before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, God the Father gave to His Son a chosen people and commissioned His Son to redeem them by the help of the Spirit. So God's initiative in redeeming the lost from sin and certain death 
was not an arbitrary thing. It was not a knee-jerk reaction. After sin entered humanity, okay, what do I do now? Let me turn to plan B. It says here, this has always been God's plan. It was something that he had planned in eternity past with the Son. So this is what I'm trying to get to. Namely, this is the foundation of mission. It begins with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God who predestined a people for adoption as his children, for what reason? It says to the praise of his glorious grace, namely our worship. That is, God's purpose before the foundation of the world wants to redeem a fallen people to restore our worship of him and to receive his due glory to him. They're always connected together. In essence, what unfolds in the biblical storyline of redemption was first established in eternity past between the persons of the Trinity. It is with this in mind, I want to now turn to the book of Genesis where we will look at parts of chapter 1, 3, and 12. We want to see how God has a grand plan to restore our worship of Him so that He will receive due glory. So here's our first point. God's mission in creation was meant to lead us to worship. Okay, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, we read this. Then God said, Let us make men in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It says in verse 26, let us we find the first hint of the triune God in the Bible there. In Genesis 1, speaks of creation of a man on several locations, and it's explicitly clear that God made them, Adam and Eve, in his image. It serves to remind us that all people, men, women, and children, are equal in worth, in value, and in dignity, and only distinct in our male and female distinctions as God-given. So since God and humans share such likeness, it should be not surprising that a relationship between God and humans is the focus of the rest of Scripture, our relationship with God. It was intended so we can worship Him and relate to Him unlike anything else in creation, so we can be in communion with God. In fact, this communion is intended to be an eternal communion with God. And being created in His image also has the element of morality. We humans are given a morality with functions of freedom and responsibility. The earliest example of this was when Adam and Eve were responsible for acknowledging this by their obedience in the matter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In this, Adam was called to take his family and fill the earth, mainly full of God's image bearers. I want you to grow. I want you to represent me everywhere you go. Like the ambassador of Canada to any country, he has one purpose. It is to represent the interest of this nation in that country. And so Adam and Eve had one interest. That is to make God known over the face of the earth. That is true worship, to spread that so that God's fame would spread. This is how Adam was to lead the rest of humanity and lead us to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
Thus, God's mission in creation was to worship Him, be in harmony with Him, and in rest of creation. Interestingly, an atheist once complained to a friend because Christians had their special holidays. He said, but we atheists, he said, have no special day, no recognized holiday on the calendar. It's just not fair. So his Christian friend replied and said, why don't you celebrate April 1st? <laughs> you see, no one wants to be a fool. But a person is a fool, ultimately, according to Proverbs, when he or she does not acknowledge the God, Creator God. When they don't look around and say, clearly, this is designed and made by someone. The Lord has not left us without evidence of His existence. Just a few months back, I remember on a Sunday morning getting ready for our service, I look through our window and I see the snow falling, heavy fall. And I just realized, just looking at the snow, every flake floating side by side will be blown through different levels of humidity and vapor and each of them will have a different design. Even the snowflakes scream of creation. You see, it reminds us, it's very simple, very obvious. One of the applications we draw from this is this. Only God is a being worthy of our worship. No one else. He is the only one worthy of our worship. Not our spouse, not our children, not our achievements, nothing. I grew up as a Hindu until we moved to Toronto, until I was 19 years old. And one of the philosophies that I grew up with, that your parents there's millions of gods. You can make up a god and worship it. But creation and the scripture here tells us that only God of creation is worthy of our worship. You know why? All other gods can never make a promise and keep its promise. The God of the Bible is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. And you will see this as you follow the narrative of the Bible. Creation gives us evidence of its order, of design, of harmony, that there is some cause for all of this, and mankind must recognize that all of creation is one big finger, as one author said, pointing to one great God. So all of creation shouts that God exists, and He's the God of power and glory, a being worthy of worship. The fool may talk of Mother Nature, but nature itself is powerless to produce any kind of life without the process that God has put in place in the first place. To substitute Mother Nature for God is to confuse creation with the Creator. Sadly, this communion with God did not last. As, as beautiful as it was in Genesis 1 and 2, we see next what happened. Number two is this in the big picture. God's mission comes to fallen humanity amidst broken worship. When we see the beauty of creation, we can be in wonder of it. But then when we look around us and we, and we consider what we go through every day, we realize not all is that well. Not all is in harmony. What happened? Well, worship was broken. Adam was meant to take his family and the rest of humanity and lead us in worship of God in spirit and in truth, but that did not last. They fell to Satan's temptation. Genesis 3, if you turn the page, verse 6 and 7. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7. And then eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So instead of worshiping God who made them and loves them, Adam led 
the rest of humanity with his wife into adulterous worship, idolatrous worship of created things instead of the creator. Although man was made in the image of God, this image is greatly marred by sin now. There are traces of the images remaining in us. But man today is not what God intended on our own. We are fallen being, and the effects of the fall seem, is seen on each level in our lives, in body, in soul, and in spirit. It's like saying, what Adam did was saying, I don't want to be dependent on you. I hate this. So let me disregard your word and eat the fruit, regardless of the consequences, and die. In that moment, man's spirit, the part of him that had communion with God, died instantly. It's like power that got turned off. It is clear the fact that he ran from God when God came to him in the garden. Men and women have been running from God ever since. Ever since. That is our natural bent. His soul, the seed of his intellect, feelings and identity began to die. And yet, it is in Adam's broken, adulterous worship we're given a backdrop against which God begins his mission in history to save a people who once again will worship him in spirit and in truth. At the heart of judgment on Satan in Genesis 3.15, God makes the first gospel promise. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the women, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says, serpent, I will send somebody that will crush your head. In the midst of the curse of the serpent, the Lord God makes an amazing and gracious announcement. It is the first gospel announcement. The promise is not Adam, but the promise is another son. When Adam failed as God's son to worship him in spirit and truth, God didn't abandon them. His basic plan is to ensure worldwide worship through his son, but the promise is another son. The promised son would come and defeat the serpent, and thus, by implication, restore our worship on earth. The promise of Genesis 3.15 is interesting. You know, one of our sisters, you're pregnant, and every time my wife is pregnant, the experience we go through, this promise right here reminds us that the promise was an embryonic form. It is yet to come through the seed, which grows organically in the rest of biblical storyline. So the gospel mission begins in the garden with a disobedient and a disgraced son in Adam, under judgment, hearing the good news of a coming and a conquering son. Do you see how good God is? We are disobedient, we are disgraced, we have no hope, and God says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you another son, and he's going to conquer, and he's going to restore worship, in spirit and in truth. That's God's mission. It is this embryonic promise of grace that serves as the motivation for missions in the Bible. One author tells a story of during World War II um, of a three-story house that was bombed. The bomb destroyed the top floor entirely. Imagine this is three floors. So it hit this floor, it destroyed entirely, and it, and it landed on the second floor, severely damaging it. It's cracking. It says the weight of the two ruined floors produced cracks in the walls, first on the floor, and is doomed to eventually collapse to the bottom. 
This illustration reminds us this was true of Adam when he fell. His body was a dwelling of the soul. His spirit was above that. When he fell, his spirit was entirely destroyed. The soul ruined and the body for destined final collapse. However, the glory of the gospel is seen precisely in this moment. For when God saves a person, he saves a whole person, beginning with the spirit, continuing with the soul, and finishing with the resurrected body. Do you see how God restores this in his mission? Salvation of the spirit comes first because God first establishes contact with the one who rebelled against him. This is the, the new birth, being born again, the regeneration. Second, God works with the soul, renewing it after the image of the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes us. We call this sanctification. Growing in holiness and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Finally, in the resurrection, the body is redeemed from destruction. In this new creation, we are eternally in the presence of our Savior. So when God makes a new creation, He doesn't patch us up. No. He gives us, or He doesn't do a new coat of painting. He gives us something totally new. God creates a new spirit that's his own spirit within the individual. He gives us a, a new soul known as a new man and then he gives us a new body. This is like the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus through whom alone we have salvation. Now, having said this, having considered this, if you are not a Christ follower, friend, what I mean by that is if you haven't turned and trusted in the death and resurrection as the, of Jesus as the only means of your hope and salvation, friend, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you have an opportunity to consider this because I was where you were up until the age of 19, where I never considered any of this. Friend, it's important that you take time to consider this reality. Like Adam, you and I naturally run from God. In fact, if you turn to Genesis 6, verse 5, it says this, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, continually. You see, that is the depiction of us, apart from God, no matter how we try to live a moral life, how much we try to follow the rules, how good we do, those are good things. But that will never bring us to God. This one verse alone in Genesis 6-5 describes the universal intensity of human sin. What God saw once as very good in creation, here it says his heart is grieved. God's heart is grieved by our sin. This led to what? Judgment and the flood, the story of Noah. This is why man needs a savior. We have all turned our own ways and brought ruin to our own human race, and as a result, no one is holy. No one is capable of regaining that holiness. Apart from God, even the best things of life is stained with sin. Apart from God, our hopes of the present are forever fading. That leaves us helpless and hopeless. But, thanks be to God, that before the foundation of the world, God has a plan of redeeming the lost sinners to save us, to bring us. In His mercy, God announces good news in the midst of judgment in the garden. So friend, why would you reject such hope of forgiveness? Why would you remain in sin? It only leads to death and separation. But today, you can turn 
to that promised son, the Lord Jesus, you can look at his work on the cross who suffered and died to bear our sins. And you can think of his resurrection that overcame death, the result of sin, and you can put your hope in him. You can acknowledge your sin to him and obey him by faith. If you do, then your worship of God is restored. Your communion with God is restored. And you have an eternal hope. That's the purpose of Renaissance Church, is to proclaim the goodness and the mercy and the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why churches ought to exist, is to make him known to the nations. In this new creation, God gives you the spirit, the soul, and a body that awaits us. For those of you who are Christ followers, here's an application for us. Anything we overvalue will compete for our affection and our worship. Because worship is at the heart of this. Anything we overvalue, that's what an idol is in our hearts. You know, I grew up as a Hindu. When people said idol, I thought of a statue that we worshipped. But in reality, an idol is anything we overvalue in our life. And in the culture that I come from, uh, children are overvalued more than God. We put our hope in them. And when they disappoint us, we feel like, I've done everything hard. Why do my kids disappoint me? Well, because we don't know the God of creation who's given us truth on how to do those things, but to worship Him and Him alone. See, God gives us many good gifts in this life, and we're grateful for them. But since we still live in a fallen world, and on this side of eternity, we must regard our hearts for the good things that we tend to overvalue. In fact, if we overvalue the good things that God gives us, it's hard for us to live on mission. It's very hard. You know why? They're always competing. They're always competing. I like sports. Um, I like soccer. I grew up playing soccer, probably worshiping it. You know, good thing I don't worship hockey. Otherwise, my heart would be broken last night when the Leafs lost again. And so I looked at the score. I'm like, ah, good thing. But we overvalue so many things. We can overvalue our health, our looks, Whatever it is, I can even overvalue being a pastor. What I need to worship is the God who saved me so that I can live on mission. Because the competition is always knocking at the door. So this leads us to our final point, And that's this. God's mission moves forward through one family, one nation, and one man. To this, you turn the page to Genesis 12 and look at verse 3 with me. Ever since the first announcements of God's mission in the, in the garden, this promise has been moving forward. Even through the great flood, it's been moving forward. But as we arrive to Genesis 12, the storyline of the Bible narrows to one family and to one man. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Apart from the Lord Jesus, Abraham is probably the second most important person in the Bible. The rest of Genesis is given to him and his family. There's 50 chapters. The first 11 tell us wide range of creation from 12 to 50 is about him and the movement of his family and how God is carrying his promise through. 
This promise to Abraham says that he will become a nation, and through this nation, a son would come by which all nations will be made glad. Amazing. This marks an important turning point in the book of Genesis, and it further clarifies God's mission in the rest of biblical storyline. Not only does Abraham go in obedience from his country, who were idol worshipers, but we see that in verse 7, he builds an altar and worships the Lord. Do you see the connection? Mission and worship. Abraham left his pagan gods of his family and worshiped and proclaimed the name of the living God, Yahweh, in a foreign nation as he moved there. Here we begin to see God's mission leads to restored worship. And God receives the glory. This example is seen in Abraham's son Isaac, his grandson Jacob. Each one responds whenever God speaks to them by building an altar and worshiping God in their movements. They're living in tents. They're nomads. And they are called to meditate on God's mission for a future nation who will be a blessing to the nations. But it doesn't stop there. Some 400 years later, if you turn to Genesis, I mean to, 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 to Exodus, Abraham's family had become numerous in Egypt, too numerous for Pharaoh. God calls his son Israel out of a false worship of other gods to worship himself. When, uh, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go that we may go out to do what? To worship our God. In deliverance, in mission, the worship is right there. Here the Lord recovers worship in his son Israel. You see, a mission in the Old Testament finds its expression in the commissioning of God's national son, which is Israel, to be a holy nation, to be a kingdom of priests, which by implication is meant to lead the world to worship God, but they sort of moved and had to come to them. You know why? Because the temple is eventually built in the city of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel. So it's not surprising that there is no purposeful movement outside. It's more inward. Nations had to come there. In fact, uh, the sons of Korah in Psalm 48.10 say this, As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. In worship, they reflect how God has displayed a steadfast love, not just in personal deliverance or forgiveness, but Psalms begin to speak of nations. And it's starting to move outward, preserving them as a people so that his praise might reach to the ends of the earth. That is God's intention. Why? So the Gentiles might come to know him. That's us. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, John Piper clarifies the ultimate goal when he thinks of missions. He says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Thanks be to God. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more, but worship will. If worship is the goal, then the local church is the primary instrument. Renaissance Church, Fellowship Church Rouge Park, and countless other churches that make Jesus known to the nations that move here and to the nations that exist. Why? Because the local church is designed to be God's gathered worshipers on earth to display his glory among the nations. 
Local churches are like signposts. When we were coming here, you know, I, I can't reach, read the French, but there are signposts on the highway. There's warning. Say, so you've got to go this way to arrive at a destination. We are pointing the way to Christ's kingdom. We are embassies of heaven on earthly soil. So as we gather for worship, as we gather for teaching, as we gather for communion, we scatter for global witness. Let's remember the global missions of worship on earth, but also here locally. Let's remember our neighbors, as you're already doing, whether it's through movies or through games or through social events or just inviting somebody saying, hey, have you, has, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? Are you interested in exploring the gospel? Let's do it together at the park, at the coffee shop, wherever we can. We do it with a couple of guys who go biking together, whatever way we can. And worship necessarily drives us to establish faithful churches of disciple-making churches among people. So here's my last application for us. The overflow of our worship must lead us to spread of God's fame. So our work of witnessing the gospel to our friends, to our colleagues, and even sending people is really meant to be the overflow of our worship. That is what fuels us out of gratitude. For what? For who he is and what he's done for me and for you. If that's not there, we're just doing it mechanically and you and I will be frustrated and we'll quit. So that needs to be the driving force. We really need to take stock of what worship means to us because worship of God in spirit and truth always leads to faithfully proclaiming his name and his fame both near and both far. I was so encouraged to get to know Pastor James's dad and the work that he's been doing. My heart is encouraged. Uh, there are members in our church who are missionaries who have been on the field for so long when we hear their stories because sometimes we feel like, oh, we're just in this big city and we're, we're, we're struggling. But to hear of God's faithfulness through the nations encourages our heart to continue to faithfully serve and do the work of the gospel. What was promised to Abraham has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Believers now have the great privilege to joyfully participate in this mission. But it must begin with our worship of Christ. If we don't get that right, then the work of the gospel mission is a failure before we even begin it. And so we are grateful and we are thankful and we keep asking the question, how can I be part of God's work among the nations right here so more people will for the first time come to know the Lord Jesus, worship Him, and give Him glory that deserves to Him alone. The main point, God's purpose in mission is to restore our worship and receive His due glory. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are interested in restoring our worship, which was broken by Adam, our federal head. But thank you, in your promise, you sent us another son, Christ, the Lord Jesus, who faithfully restored us through his death and resurrection. So lead us now, Lord, even as we sing praises to you in response, in restoring worship, and receive your due glory from among the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. 
It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 